Hi, and welcome to Matt Holman Talks Mental Health, the podcast where I have the opportunity to sit down and chat mental health with amazing humans. For this episode, I'm so happy to introduce Laura Trendle Morrison to the conversation. Welcome, Laura. Hi, Matt. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're more than welcome. It's lovely to see you. Um, just a very quick introduction from my perspective, and then I'll ask Laura, you can do your introduction. You can tell people everything about who you are and what you do and so on. Um, but Laura and I actually met uh, back in 2019, towards the end of 2019, when we were both stood up on a stage in the middle of uh, Wales talking about uh, subjects that we're really passionate about. Um, we both delivered TEDx talks, uh, which was just incredible. So you can go check those out. I'll encourage people to go and have a look. Uh, they're still available on YouTube. I might even drop a link into it. Um, but yeah, we met there and then we've stayed in touch. Randomly, we bumped into each other at a hotel as I was doing a training course and Laura was attending a training course in Basingstoke where I live. And that was the last time we actually physically saw each other, but we stayed in touch since then remotely and through these wonderful virtual worlds. So welcome, Laura. Lovely to see you. You do your introduction. Thank you, Matt. So I'm Laura Trendle Morrison. I run the Game Changer Consultancy and I focus on strategy, leadership and management. So as you can imagine, I have a lot of conversations with leaders and with managers about mental health and the impact of that in the workplace as part of those conversations and facilitations. Brilliant stuff. And you do work all over the world as well, right? And you deliver those to different I cultures. do. I do. Pre-COVID, um, I was traveling internationally, typically about 30 countries a year. I've worked with over 50 different nationalities um, and I thoroughly enjoy it meeting such a diverse range of people and actually seeing how the mental health conversation is different mm. in different countries and the levels of acceptance. So in my background, I first became engaged in a supporter with mental health as part of my work um, on industrial relations for British Telecom. I had responsibility when I was doing that for BT and Prospect for health, safety and well-being. And this was back in 2011 before mental health was really a big topic on the agenda, that we were very, very aware of it, that it was beginning to increase as one of the drivers of absences and issues in the workplace. But it's um it's interesting to see other countries now beginning to move to where the UK is in terms of well-being and being mindful about how they lead and the impact it has yeah. on others. Brilliant. Yeah. And we, if we get time, we'll delve into some of those cultural differences mm. that you might have seen. It'd be interesting to see your insights. But this is your story. This is about Laura and your relationship, I guess, with mental health or your journey with mental health. That's what this is all about. So I'm just going to give you freedom to talk about whatever you want to talk about. But tell us a bit about your journey with mental health. Absolutely. So my journey with mental health has been an interesting one. So if I start at the very beginning, I would say growing up, I saw the effects of um, people with mental health challenges around me. So issues perhaps with anger management um, and other things and, you know, not having a very positive frame of mind. And for me, I very much felt that that was a choice. It was something we could choose whether we have good mental health, um, positive mental health, or whether we went down a route where we allow situations to take control of us. So um, for me, it was always very interesting to look at the differences between people and those that were positive 
and those people that maybe were having a negative experience in life and therefore being diagnosed with mental health issues and struggling with the day to day. So I kind of became an early fan of positive psychology as a teenager and um, always found it very, very fascinating. But it wasn't something that touched on my professional life. Um, I was very, very fortunate to take my apprenticeship with BT Um, That went moving. That meant a lot of change in my life. Um, And I felt that I handled change very, very well. Change has always been something for me that I've really, really embraced. Um, But it wasn't until I was probably about 24 and I'd done quite well in my career. I'd moved down to London. I'd been promoted rapidly into roles with quite a lot of responsibility for that age. And what I felt was that I was always pushing. So I was working the standard 40 hour week. On top of that, I was studying for my degree because I'd come in through the apprenticeship route and then subsequently my postgraduate in law, which took up weekends and evenings. And I got to a point and I would almost call it a quarter life crisis where I realised I had this very successful career, I'd bought my own home, and things on paper looked amazing, but I realised where was the space for me within all of this, and this was manifesting itself in things like disrupted sleep, insomnia, lack of motivation to go to the gym, which had always been a feature of my life, and I went to my doctor at the time and I said, I don't understand this, what is going on? And she diagnosed malaise and generalised anxiety disorder. Now, malaise, we would think that that would mean malingering, not doing a great deal. Yet here I was living life at 110 miles per hour. So I, I actually went and booked myself some time off of work. I took some time out. And previously to that, my time off of work um, had often seen me travelling with a laptop, still working even though I was supposed to be off because I was in the early part of the technology industry. We had remote working before everybody else got it last year. We had it from about 2000. So um, that thing of always being on had been quite um, a big feature of my life. And I realized that actually I needed to allow and to carve some space for me in my life without feeling guilty about that. And when I looked at that, that came from, I think, beliefs that had formed in childhood about having to perform, having to be the best, having to put in 100%. Um, So it was really beginning to unwind those and understand. So I started researching into things like mindfulness, into meditation, Um, I had a fabulous doctor that rather than um, going down the medication route, because I saw a female doctor first, she recommended counselling. That didn't work for me for my issue at the time, because I think um, there's a a big spread in counsellors that you're allocated. You don't get a free choice. Um, But I went back to see another GP, Dr. Lewis, who was absolutely amazing. We had a great relationship up until he sadly passed away. And he said to me, there is another way to manage this. He was very into holistic. So Tai Chi was on the prescription. 
Yep. And luckily in my workplace, they were offering Tai Chi lessons of an evening. Huh. I started to book in um, on a Wednesday afternoon after lunchtime. Um, I started to book that I was going to have an hour out and go for a massage. Okay. Yep. Um, and then yoga. Um, and then I, I began to develop those interests further. So actually by going down the holistic route, that broadened me into a whole field, whole area of interest that I hadn't previously been involved in. Um, and that was really, really positive for me. Um, and things continued to go very, very well. Um, as I say, no medication required at all. So learning to manage everything through breathing, um, through journaling, that became quite a big aspect of what I was doing. Um, and then my flatmate at the time, she was um, working in journalism and I was asked to review the first psychologist magazine um, when they were pre-launch in right. the UK. Right. So I reviewed it and thought, you know, this is my area of interest. And I started to think, well, you know, longer term as well, I'd really like to move to helping people with this. And that was the thing that seeded the idea for me to train as a coach when I discovered I was pregnant with my first daughter. Right. So um, from Psychologies magazine and seeing Barefoot Coaching advertising in the back every month, um, as soon as I discovered I was pregnant, I decided that that was the career path that I was going to follow. Yep. I carried on with my corporate career, um, but I undertook the training as a coach while I was, let me see, I think it was between four and seven months pregnant. So I had the first barefoot baby. <laughs> yeah. And that was a lovely experience because I think coaching and the grounding that you do with formal coaching training yeah. um, goes very much into how our beliefs are formed mm -hmm. and how we develop and how we can make positive change in our lives. And I found that throughout my my life as a mother if you like I've used those skills positively in my relationship with my children yep. um, just to make sure that they have a good relationship with their emotions good awareness good communication and so coaching was an incredibly positive um, set of skills for me to learn now as I say I didn't use them straight away um, I went back into the workplace after my period of maternity and that was also after having had a misdiagnosis with postnatal mental health right. which was quite a scary experience yeah of course um, it's an experience that I've debriefed with now and um, Dr Lewis who I mentioned before was incredibly helpful in helping me to understand and break down what had happened in that situation um, but Luckily, because of my training, I was able to come out of the situation and look at, OK, how do I rebuild things in a positive way? Because for me, becoming a mother and being misdiagnosed with a postnatal mental health issue um, really um, wasn't the beginning to motherhood that I'd anticipated. Um, so it was a case of, OK, how do I rediscover um positive health and you know with the misdiagnosis had been medication as well so that had had quite a severe impact yeah um so my first thing was looking at recovering my fitness health first and foremostly 
um, and developing a programme for that. And I kind of just went right back to basics with everything. Um, lots of walking again, lots of yoga. I incorporated belly dancing into this because oh. I needed something wow. that was fun okay. whilst my daughter was sleeping okay. and took her <laughs> out for lots of long walks. Yeah. And a really important part of my healing journey there was actually to go back to work early. Okay. And for that time, because of the identity. Right. I had in the workplace so mm. from being a new mother that had had these supposed issues yeah. and a lot of unintended consequences from that mm. to being able to go somewhere where I was secure I was in my zone of competence and able to rediscover my confidence there yeah. um, and that was great because that was when I was actually invited to join the industrial relations committee for BT and started to get involved back in 2009 so right. um, there were positives that were coming and I was also very fortunate to be able through my coaching to attend supervision with Ilona Bonniwell okay. and at the time it was when the Flourish book had been launched by Martin Seligman and I believe Ilona had worked with him on some of the research on post-traumatic thriving so again I went here I am in this situation yep. and I have a choice I can be a survivor or I can choose to thrive. Yeah. And choosing to thrive meant for me having this abundance of the skills, the knowledge that I did about nutrition, about fitness, about my, my own positive psychology, that I could do that and put those healthy habits in place. So for me, it was very much about developing structure. Mm -hmm. That was very important. And on the return to workplace, um, the thing that I did for myself, which I think had the most positive impact, was I had an open discussion. I had completely new managers. So if you know how it works in a big corporate, you go away on maternity, you come back, the organization's completely different. Yep. So I had a conversation with them. And I used um, reports that I'd done on my strengths through psychometrics to look at, this is how I perform best. However, I've had these challenges and therefore at times, there may be times where I need space or where I might not be able to come onto a conference call or work at a particular level and pace of intensity. Yeah. But if I feel that is happening, I will tell you. So it was setting very clear boundaries on yeah. what could be expected and also that I wasn't going to go back to the 70 to 80 hours a week culture. No. no. Um, and that was something I've, I've become very, very passionate how did about. They, can I just ask you a quick question there? So how did they react when you sort of said this, presented this to them? And I was, re again, I was really fortunate because the new um, managers that I went back to, actually, one of them was married to a psychotherapist. Oh, okay. Right. Which helps. So he was relatively aware, yeah. even back in 2009, on mental health and what needed to be done. And oh, he yeah. was very supportive in helping to promote me and to progress my career. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, it, they really supported work-life balance. Um, you know, I'd drawn up a schedule of what would work best for me and how I felt I could manage things. Um, sure. Still doing the full 40-hour a week. Yeah. yeah. But being cognizant of the fact I was a new mother with a six-month-old mm. baby, yeah. you know, it all needed to fit and not put me under an undue pressure when I'd come through a very traumatic experience. So yeah. that, was, that was really... Um, 
you know, it was it was well handled, I think. Mm. And I think that insight as well and my openness about it is what led to me being asked to champion the stuff on health and safety and well-being and particularly working with a lot of people who were either dealing with or that we could see in collaboration between both the organisation and the union that were maybe on the cusp of hitting a tipping point with their stress and mental health because obviously at that time Mm. it wasn't too long since we'd had the issues with France Telecom which have now led to you know the French legislation which only came in a couple of years ago almost 10 years after the event of saying we must have time to decompress from work and servers should not be sending emails you know yeah so um you know everybody was very very mindful of that and again um being able to use my experiences to help other people who were maybe at risk of hitting burnout um you know it's easier to stop a burnout before it happens after it's happened it's very hard um to recover yep and to help somebody to recover back to what they were previously yeah um so i'm a big fan of early intervention and early awareness where we see people having mental health struggles yeah definitely i and me too absolutely i 100 back that we've got to engage sooner in these conversations yeah. right but we've also got to enable the conversations to be accepted you know so stigma needs to be reduced discrimination what i love about what you just said there laura is is that you went with a thought that said i need to talk about it and i need to give you some ideas as to how it will work for me and they accepted that as a conversation and that's that i guess back in 2009 that would have been a very unique conversation for a lot of people to hear happening. i think it was and i think what oh. gave me the idea is obviously the situation i'd gone through back yep. then um with the team that was supporting me from the health service having come out of that situation was the idea of advanced directives and i thought well if okay. you can have an advanced directive for your life yeah you need to have that in place in your workplace yeah definitely So they need to know because I didn't know what would, because I had the history of generalised anxiety disorder, Mm. it it could take anything to set me off. So I'm not saying it happened, but I was aware that it was a possibility. So Mm. um, I think managing that and knowing that I wouldn't be letting anybody down if that happened. No. And that it was something that they could handle. Yeah. And that we had plans in place that reassured me as well, actually. Um, Laura, this is just so relevant to the reality of, you know, people need to recognise that, that talking about it isn't, you know, it's hard. It is hard to talk about it, of course, when it's about you personally. But if you don't tell people, imagine a situation where you went back to that job and you didn't have that conversation. You know, what would have happened? Well, at some point it would have slipped, things would have changed. You'd have probably, I don't know, I'm, I'm putting words in there just as a hypothesis, of course, but, you know, hypothetically speaking. But if you hadn't, then things could have changed differently and they would have potentially just, rather than promoting you and supporting you, <laughs> got mm. rid of you or demoted you, you know? And, and th- do you think that would have been? Do you know, I think that happens. I think yeah. that oh, does, does happen in yeah. workplaces. Yeah. You know, it's not often talked about, but we do see. Um, you know, and quite often I think the reason is because the managers and leaders feel ill-equipped. They feel out of their depth. Yep. 
and therefore it's a case of well, why should we be dealing with this problem and mm. what we've got to recognize is i think you'll know the stats better than me matt but one in four people and i think post covid that's that's going <laughs> to go to one in three yeah because will. people who didn't have anxiety or didn't have depression yep. or maybe slightly agoraphobic tendencies, I mm -hmm. think could be something we see from homework in the beginning because of, particularly because of this fear of going outside. Yep. Um, you know, we, we could be dealing with some big issues when it comes to people returning to workplaces. And I foresee, you know, my colleagues in the HR industry are gonna be very, very busy people having performance and capability conversations. Yeah. Um, you know, how do we make businesses ready for that? It's almost like, you know, we have a personal development plan which talks about our organisational learning, but perhaps we should be looking more holistically at our employees and understanding, you oh. know, what is their situation? Yeah, yeah and, you, and that's it, isn't it? It's what's their situation and it has to be yeah. individual. This is the yes. challenge. It has to be individual because I can't look at you and then look at somebody else and say, well, they're both the same. You know, you don't yeah. look the same. You don't live in the same place. You don't have the same, fun, you know, things around you. You don't have the same life as, you know, life as everybody else. And that's the challenge, isn't it? It's it's mm. helping leaders or managers. And I, you know, I train leaders and managers as well. And, and it's helping them to recognize that, you know, you've got to get to know people. You've got to really know how people work to be able to understand them. Um, Mm. And that's what you do, right? That's what you're helping these people to recognize a lot of. So talk a little bit about. So so let's talk about the evolution to to uh, the game changer consultancy business that you have. So you've been through these experiences and I love the fact yeah. that you're so honest and open about them. And that's great because that makes you an amazing human in my eyes. So there you go. Top, top marks for that. Top 10. Um, so what happened and how did that come about? So my decision to um, set up the Game Changer Consultancy, I'd actually registered the business. Its first incarnation was Delta Professional Coaching back in okay. 2008 when I was expecting my eldest daughter now, right. Avalon, who is now going to be 12 this month. Yep. And it um, came about because, as I say, I knew the power of coaching. I knew that it could help people. Yep. And I was able to do some privately whilst managing my corporate career. My corporate I had my second daughter, continued to go very well. Um, I became the chair of the BT Women's Network, which was fantastic and opened me up to a lot of other discussions and people. So um, I had a really, really good time there. But, um, you know, unfortunately, um, I think, you know, there were changes in the company. There were changes in the company. And with my background with um, stress and anxiety, um, that actually became a factor. And I, I said to my company, I said, I'm going to have to take stress leave. Yeah. And I took it and I reflected and I thought, is, is now the time that I need to step out and do my own thing? Because yeah. what had begun to happen is the same things, the same issues, um, you know, time after time in, in the company. And I'd worked on a very high profile negotiation for two years which had really, you know, necessitated me doing early mornings, late nights, a lot of pressure. And whilst I could handle it, it got to the point where there was just a change in the management, a change in direction, and it was just too much. And at that point, 
um, I, I said to them that I was going to proactively take stress leave. I had that conversation with my GP, who was very supportive of that. Right. Um, take the reflection time. And um, yeah, and in that time, whilst I was working out my decision and um, looking at setting up and going it alone, I decided to engage with the therapist to have those conversations and to make sure that I was doing the right thing for me, that it wasn't being clouded by the situation um, and that it was a sensible decision to make. So um, working through that with a therapist, I think, was a very positive decision. And I I recommend now to people, if they're planning to go through a major life change, that they do work with somebody. It has to be somebody that you trust. I think you have to have a good rapport and trust there. But if you find the right person, that can be a highly, highly positive move to make. And I think that allowed me to leave BT and to set up Game Changer Consultancy and to hit the ground running with it, really, and begin to develop it. Brilliant. And it's going well, is it? It's going, going well. well. Yeah. It's going well. Despite <laughs> COVID, we are still we are still here. Changing still games. Going. <laughs> still changing games, right? <laughs> Yep, changing the game. And yeah, but no, we've got some lovely clients and um, really, really happy with the work that we're doing. And the one thing that I find really encouraging is most of my work over the last two years has been for work for leaders with emotional intelligence and communication. Yeah. And so there is a real understanding that um, to be a leader or manager, it's not about the technical performance or seniority. It, there is much more emphasis coming on how they deal with people. Yeah, brilliant. And, that, and that's the focus we need to have, definitely. And I think that's a changing world at the moment. We're seeing more towards the, the human element of work, which is great. And it's just taken far too long to get here. And But, you know, we're here now. So let's continue this journey in this conversation. Um, we've got a few more minutes. Um, just you know, I get to final thoughts in a second, but how's the last year been in terms of sort of, you know, you yourself, how have you found the last year and, and yeah. the situation with COVID? Uh, I think especially with COVID, yeah. and as we mentioned before, um, also I'm in the process of divorcing. I separated in 2019, right. so that necessitated a relocation. Yep. And for us in terms of managing the um, COVID Um, I'm going to say, actually, I took my children out of school the week before they closed the schools because I'd just come back from traveling and I knew that had it spread in the school, that would be an issue for my children. So I took the decision to keep everybody at home. Um, And we really focused on making our home a place that we want to be. So making sure it's very peaceful. Um, I spent some time actually, again, going back to barefoot to train in coaching for parenting skills and family life, Okay, cool. um, which gave my children some lovely tools to use as we were going through COVID and changes and really working on their communication. Um, For us, the priority um, and what I agreed with them is that would they feel happier with the schedule? That was a resounding yes. Um, Because of my work, that meant out for walks every day at 10 um, o'clock because I would do my work early in the morning and then they they would have a late start as they weren't in school, um, getting out and walking and um, lots of cooking, lots of spending time at home, lots of TV nights and film nights for them. And really just focusing on happiness and the emotional side. So I am going to say 
even though I um, am a trustee in an educational charity, first lockdown, my primary focus was not on education. It wasn't on homeschooling. It was yeah. on the children's well-being. And I think, you know, that that is the message that now needs to carry through with the children returning to school. Yeah. We don't want to place too much pressure on them for academic catch up. There needs to be an allowance and a recognition that they've gone through something quite big here and will need greater emotional support as they reintegrate into the school environment. Yeah, no, that's good. And, uh, you know, I just wish you all the very best with with the children and with that that routine and getting out, getting that fresh air and the change in the weather and the, the days at the moment is just wonderful to, to sort of encourage more positive things, right? Yeah, yeah, it's so much easier when the days are brighter. But that yep. said, you know, for us, we'd, we would actually use the sun lamp in, in the winter as well. Okay, yep. So, idea, you know, yeah. things like this do help, you know, anything you think helps, if you think it helps, it, it helps. probably does. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's true, though, isn't it? We so, yeah. Oh, yeah, I know that would help. We'll do it then. We, we'll do it. Yeah. If it, if it helps. Um, listen, Laura, I, I'm so happy we had the chance to sit down and talk this morning or today. I don't even think it's this morning now. It's just time flies when we're having fun. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to pass it to you for any final thoughts, words, any insights you want to share. But just to say a huge thank you from me. Thank you for for being you. Thank you for being you know available to do this conversation as well. I do love just catching up and chatting with people. Lovely to see you again as well. Um, Laura, any final thoughts, conversations or? I think, Matt, from our earlier discussion, it's as we say, with anybody that is dealing with mental health, I think it is, don't be afraid, go and have the conversations with people yeah. because they are there to support you and be real, be real about it, have those conversations, don't try and hide it. Yeah, it's so true, isn't it? Be real. Mm. Let's all be real. Let's all take that as a as the final piece of advice there from Laura, which is, you know, be real and, you know, genuine, authentic, so important. Thank you for doing all of that and being real for yourself as well, Laura. Um, as I always say at the end of these, just briefly, just if anybody is struggling, if you do need to talk to anybody or if there's anything you want to know more about, get in touch with me. I'm sure Laura's always accessible as well. If anybody does have any questions about anything that she's talked about, feel free um this is about accessibility you know we are accessible people um and you can contact us but also know there are other alternatives so you could contact samaritans if you are struggling you do need a safe space to talk uh, the number is 116123 or if you're into texting and you want to text to shout um you can text on 85258 that's the number um but laura thank you so much for this conversation I'd, i've loved catching up with you and i'll speak to you soon thank you cheers